0: To pornography, drugs, and alcohol, he'll be talking about the danger of homosexuality, gender identity. He'll also talk about uh, the dangers of anxiety, depression, and suicide. That'll be on Saturday. Uh, we will provide lunch, hot dogs, and hamburgers, uh, and the fixings on that day. And then on Sunday, he'll conclude it for our 9:30 service, empowering families to face a changing and dangerous world. And following that particular presentation we'll have a congregational lunch together, which I love those at 11 o'clock. So let's be looking forward to that. Now in conjunction to this, we're gonna be door knocking in our area, our community on the 22nd. On Saturday, the 22nd, we'll start around nine o'clock. We'll knock as long as we want to, but we won't be at it terribly long. And uh, we want to go out into our community and invite people to come and to be a part of this. Hopefully. Uh, people are already getting word by what you're doing and how you're talking about it and letting people know because there's a lot of people that really need this and we need to do what we can uh, to make sure that the word gets out. I hope you'll come back this coming uh, Sunday morning at 9:30 for our worship service. Uh, we'll have excellent classes for all ages at five o'clock. We'd love to see you then. For our uh, devotional tonight, Brandon Elliott will be leading our singing. But Rick Warner will be dismissing us in prayer.
1: If you will, mark number 902. Number 902, that'll be our invitation song. You have that mark turned to number
0: five eighty nine. Number five eighty nine. share with those that come to our food pantry tomorrow. We have a Bible study uh, with them before they can get their food. I think all of us are aware if we've been awake at all about the fentanyl crisis in our country. Hundreds and thousands have overdosed. It's a great threat uh, to our young people. A lot of times it's an accidental overdose. Maybe drugs are laced with fentanyl and Of course we are concerned about our border and how much fentanyl is coming into our country, the danger that comes from it. Now they're about to release to the public in pharmacies over the counter a drug called Narcon that can help deal with that when people accidentally uh, overdose on fentanyl. I share all that with you to share this. Somebody gave me a door hanger the other day. I've got a copy of that door hanger on here and on the front is the name of a church. Uh, Such and such church, it gives the times and it gives the uh, name of it and so forth. On the back of this door hanger is how to accept Jesus. And it gives some verses. It says, John 3, verse 16, a good verse, whosoever believeth in him should not perish, uh, but have everlasting life. You shouldn't perish. You ought to go ahead and obey the Lord. And then it gives Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart God's raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And then it says, pray this prayer and you'll be saved. It says, dear Jesus, I'm a sinner. I believe that you died and rose from the dead to save me from my sins. I want to be with you in heaven forever. Jesus, forgive me of all my sins that I've committed against you. I open my heart to you now. Ask you to come into my heart as my personal Lord and Savior in Jesus name. Amen. Now this was distributed in several communities in our area. It was left on doors. Now I want to submit to you just like that fentanyl is so dangerous today to people I want to refer to this as spiritual fentanyl. People that accept this for what it says and let that be it they're going to destroy their spiritual lives their souls are going to be lost this is nowhere to be found in the bible nowhere do you find in the bible to pray this kind of prayer instead you know we think about what jesus said about salvation he said he that believes and is baptized shall be saved mark 16 verse 16 on pentecost when those folks were convicted in their hearts and cried out, what shall we do? What did Peter tell them to do? Well, he could have told them to pray a prayer like this, couldn't he? You know, and you'll be saved. But Peter didn't tell them that. He says, if you want to be saved, you repent and you be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so we have a choice here. We think about the dangers and it bothers me when I think about all the problems, the loss of life, the destruction in families caused by the drug fentanyl. But folks, spiritually, this kind of fentanyl is just as destructive. It's contrary to God's word and that's why we need to always be willing, as Peter says, to give an answer to every man that asks a reason for the hope that is in us with meekness and with fear. So I wanted to share that with you tonight to get you to be aware of some of the things that goes on in the lives of those around about us. What people generally believe and what they generally believe is simply what's been handed down and that's the basis of their faith. So let's be ready to defend God's word but more importantly we need to save souls. We need to save souls from spiritual death by teaching them the gospel. Tonight, we're going to sing a song of encouragement. Maybe that you're outside of Christ and you need to obey the gospel. Maybe you need to come tonight in simple trusting faith in Jesus, willing tonight to repent of your sins and make that confession that Jesus is the Son of God. And if you do that tonight, you can be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Or if you let things come between you and God as his child, and you've not really been faithful to him as you should, you may need to come tonight as well. So tonight, if you're subject to the invitation, we ask that you come now while we stand and sing.
2: and loving Heavenly Father, we come before Thee, Father, giving Thee thanks for this day and for all the blessings of it, for the privilege, Father, that we have to assemble here at midweek, to sing songs of praise unto Thee, to petition Thee in prayer, to hear Thy word taught, Father. And we just pray, Father, that You would be with each one of us tonight as we go to class, That we will study thy word, not only, Father, we would study it, but we will take it into our hearts, and that we will live it out in our lives from day to day so we, Father, can live closer to thee. We pray, Father, for all those that are willing to spend their time and to to teach, Father. We just uh, pray that you would be with each one of them. as they're able to present what they have prepared, be, be with them, Father, that uh, they can present it in a way that would be pleasing in thy sight. We have those, Father, among us that are sick. We uh, pray a special blessing to be upon Brother Don Dawson, and we just pray that you would be with him and, and suit unto him his needs, Father, if it's in accordance with thy will. We pray a special prayer, Father, for little Millie, that you would be with her, watch over her, be with her mom and dad, and just help her to help her to get back, Father, to to a healthy state. We ask that you would be with uh, Katie May tonight and her baby, is uh, she's in the hospital, and we just ask that you would uh, be with with her and help her to have a an easy delivery, and that everything would go well with her and the baby, Father. We just pray, Father, for the leadership of our congregation here, Father. We pray for especially for our elders and deacons and, and ministers here, Father. And we, and we pray, Father, that you would be with each program here uh, to, help, to help it be very successful, Father. And we pray a special blessing to be upon... Our jail ministry, Father. You would be with the ones that's laboring in that uh, that ministry, Father. And we are so thankful for the two, Father, that has decided to to put on Christ. And we just pray that we would, uh, they would that we'd be praying for them, and we would uh, be an example to them, Father. And we just pray now that you would go with us as we depart to class. Help us to live our lives. Father, in accordance with thy will, and we know that we mess up from time to time, Father. We just pray that you'll forgive us when we turn from it. Help us to live our lives so that heaven can be our home one day. For it's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen.
1: As our teachers get a head start to class, we'll sing uh, one verse of Jesus Loves Me. Jesus Christ. Well, good evening to all. We'll go ahead and resume our study of the Book of Romans here in just a moment. We will be in the ninth chapter this evening. I appreciate uh, Doug covering chapter eight for me here a couple of weeks ago in my absence. And then, of course, we were last Wednesday. We enjoyed the debate speeches of our young men who took part in the debate program at Lads to Leaders, and they all did a very good job, of course, and I'm thankful that we got to take part in that, but I'm also happy that we will be able to resume uh, the book of Romans. And as I've mentioned before, when you come to chapter 9, to best understand it, I encourage you to read and to study chapters 9, 10, and 11 together. Because there are some things in here that Paul says that will make more sense if we properly understand the context, as is the case with any scripture. And so chapter 9 for some is a little bit challenging And it was to me at first as well, and I'm not saying that I understand it perfectly, but I do understand it better than I did when I began this study. But before we uh, enter into this period of study, we'll go ahead and, if you would, bow with me and we'll open up with a brief word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you so thankful for another day and another opportunity, especially for this privilege to be here as your people for the purpose of studying your word. And as we enter into this study, we pray that our hearts and our minds will be opened and that we'll be receptive to the things that are being revealed and that we will be able to gain a better understanding of these things and to be able to help others in the same endeavor. We thank you for all that are here with us tonight. We ask you to watch over those that are not with us for whatever their circumstances may be and that you will continue to watch over them and that they will return to us soon as it is according unto to your will. And it is for these things that we ask. And in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Romans chapter 9. So here in chapters 9 through 11, Paul is going to discuss some things concerning physical Israel. But also within that, he is going to go back some to what he has said elsewhere concerning faith. That is, he's going to contrast physical Israel with spiritual Israel. That is, the church. Remember Galatians 6, Paul refers to the church as the Israel of God. Hebrews 12 and verse 22, the penman uh, refers to us as come to Mount Zion, referring there in the spiritual sense. So let us be uh, mindful of that. Now, one thing concerning this section, there are, and again, I don't say these things to disparage anyone, but it is something that we need to be aware of, is that there are two groups primarily that will come to this section. One group being the premillennialist, they will come to Romans 9, for example, and they'll take some of the statements that Paul makes concerning Israel and argue that Israel will be saved by virtue of their flesh. And then the second group are those who adhere to the teachings of John Calvin, the Calvinist, and they'll come here, to chapter 9 especially, and they'll try to argue for the doctrine of unconditional election. So just so that you're aware of that, and so with that in mind, we'll try to better understand these things. Now in verse 1, you'll notice his opening statement here. It sounds a little bit like some of what he says uh, in chapter 8 with, our spirit bearing witness with the Holy Spirit, that is, there being unity. Well, what is that? That Paul is telling the truth with what he is about to express. That I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. And here in 1 through 5, he's going to talk about Israel's rejection of Christ. Well, why? Does he have sorrow and grief in his heart? Well, he's going to tell us. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. Now, when he says my brethren here, he's not referring to those in the body of Christ, the church, but he is referring to his fleshly kinsmen. He's referring to the Jews, to Israel when he says this now that's a very bold statement that he makes when he says I wish that myself were accursed from Christ that is a very bold statement but what is he actually saying well he's using a figure of speech here he's employing hyperbole or that is uh, exaggerating something for the purpose of making the point. You know, I'm sure we have all done it, or we have had it said to us, you know, our mothers especially, if I've told you once, I've told you twice, twice. or a million times. I've heard that one a lot. Well, I don't know, in some cases that might be the case, but but chances are we probably haven't been told that many times. But They were doing that to try to get the point across. Well, that's exactly what Paul is doing here. And what he's expressing is his yearning, as we'll see in chapter 10, for Israel's salvation. That's what he's saying here. So you'll recall in chapters 6 through 8 that... He he has established, of course, the problem of sin. He has established what is to be done about it. And he has established, as we saw in chapter 7 a couple of weeks ago, the superiority of the new covenant over the old. So now he's going to begin to apply this And he's going to speak in this section to his fellow Israelites. Now as we read through this, try the best you can to imagine that you are a first century Jewish convert to Christianity. Maybe you still have family that is practicing the Jewish faith, and then you hear these things. So he's going to go on uh, after he says this, who are Israelites, well, we've established that, verse 4, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises, of whom are the fathers, and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, the eternally blessed God. Amen. So what he's summarizing here is that it was to all all these things, these blessings, spiritual and material, were given to Israel. Why? Because God chose them, and for a point of reference on that, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 6, that's established, and then within that, of course, they were blessed to be in the presence of God, and you can go through, I'll give you some references here briefly to the book of Exodus, time will not permit us to read it, but I do want you to have the references Uh, Chapter 13, verses 21 and 22. Chapter, excuse me, and verse, chapter 25 and verse 22. And chapter 33, verses 19 through 23. So what are the covenants? Now notice here he doesn't say covenant singular. He says covenants plural. So what covenants? is he referring to here well again we need to remember context how about the covenant with begin with the covenant with Abraham Genesis chapter 12 there you have both the land and the seed promise the giving of the law Moses ascending to Mount Sinai the service of God given to the Levites. The promises, well, what were those promises? Well, again, land, the seed, originally given to Abraham, which would come down subsequently through Isaac and Jacob, and then Jacob's sons and their descendants from whom the nation would come. But also, there's one other. Now, think about this. He's talking about his kinsmen in the flesh, what else was promised? How about the Savior? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Hebrews 7 and verse 14, being of the tribe of Judah, as the penman tells us, came into the world and thus fulfilled the promise of that covenant. Salvation for all. Everything that the prophets foretold. And on we could go. Because notice, he makes that connection here in 5. Again, of whom are the fathers, and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all. Well, who is the all there? Well, I would contend that the all is the same as the whosoever in John three sixteen. That's anyone who accepts and believes in faith. All right, we come now uh, to verses 6 through 13. And we look at God's purpose in the rejection of Israel. And when we say the rejection of Israel... I want to be clear about something, too. I'm not saying that God rejected Israel. On the other hand, Israel rejected God. And we see that throughout the Old Testament on numerous occasions. They're going into idolatry and all manner of other sins. And then we see it when we come to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, for example, in their rejection of Jesus. So what comes from all of this? But it is not, he says, verse 6, that the word of God has taken no effect. He's saying that none of this negates what God had promised. For they are not all Israel who are of Israel. Now think about that statement. They are not all Israel who are of Israel. The flesh, his kinsmen. Then how about the Gentiles? Remember Galatians chapter 3. What does Paul tell the Galatians? Who is of Abraham's seed? Those who have faith. So here he's talking about Jew and Gentile. Nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. Now remember... The physical nation, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. But again, Galatians chapter 3. Faith. Remember chapter 4 here in Romans that we looked at several weeks ago. What was Paul's conclusion in that section? We are of Abraham if we believe and obey as Abraham believed and obeyed. He's making similar point here. But, he quotes, in Isaac, your seed shall be called. Well, what's he referring to? Well, here he's quoting from Genesis 18. Genesis chapter 18, verses 10 and 14. And you'll see he's very heavy with the Old Testament citations here. So what's the purpose of quoting this? That is those who are the children of the flesh. These are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. Remember verse 4, he's already made reference to the adoption. Well again, what is adoption? One A couple, for example, will bring in a child that is, in most cases, not theirs biologically and will raise said child as if he or she were their own biological son or daughter. In that sense, as Paul affirms, we are adopted as well. All right, so we come back here to our text, where we are now. So, when he says, Those who are the children of the flesh, that is, the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. Well, who would that be? That would be the Gentiles. The Gentiles, those who. Believed and obeyed, acting in faith. For this is the word of promise, at this time I will come, and Sarah shall have a son. Well, again, he's quoting, I'm sorry, I got a little ahead of myself there. Uh, This is the quotation from Genesis 18, 10, and 14. So, uh, if you would connect that uh, with verse 9. And then the citation uh, there in verse 7, that comes from Genesis 21 and verse 12. I apologize for that, uh, for any confusion on that. Uh, So again, what is his point in all of this? Well, he's going to read on, and not, we're going to read on rather, and not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one man, that being Isaac, even by our father Isaac for the children not yet being born nor having done any good or evil that the purpose of God according to election might stand not of works but of him who calls. It was said to her, verse 12, the older shall serve the younger as it is written, Jacob I have loved but Esau I have hated. Well, who did Rebekah conceive? That would be Jacob And Esau. And again, he's quoting uh, here from the book of Genesis. Uh, For example, we look at uh, verse 12. Verse 12, he is quoting from Genesis 25 23. And then in 13, uh, he is citing uh, Malachi, the prophet Malachi, chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Now, as a side note here, we can also see from verse 11, we can refute another Calvinistic teaching, that is the doctrine of total depravity. That's a doctrine where they say that we are born in a state of sin. But notice, he says, not being born, not having done any good or evil. Well, an infant cannot distinguish the difference between good and evil, right and wrong. So again, just a sidebar uh, there, but keep that in mind if you're ever having that discussion with anyone. Here is where we can really understand what he's saying in chapter 9, and this will clear up a lot of confusion if we can better understand this. He is talking about nations, groups of people, rather than individuals. So when we understand that he's talking about a nation rather than individuals, this makes a lot more sense. Because the Calvinist doctrine of unconditional election in essence says that God arbitrarily chooses who's going to be lost and who's going to be saved. And they'll come to Romans 9 and they'll use this section right here, these statements and citations from Genesis concerning Jacob and Esau to make that argument. Uh, But the context will show, and we've already seen that he's going to be talking about the nation rather than any one particular individual. All right, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Now that's a statement that may be a little hard to swallow. But what he's saying is, when he quotes there from the prophet Malachi, is that the promise would come through Jacob and his lineage. Now you read on in the account in Genesis, and you'll see that, yes, Esau did have descendants. He had a nation for himself. The nation of Edom came through Esau, but they were not the ones through whom the covenant was to come. It was Jacob. So there's the whole purpose of that statement. So then we come, and I am i was trying to hit some highlights here, and so here in a few moments I'll pause and I'll open it up for any questions or comments that anyone may have on any of this, by the way. Uh, but when we come now to verse 14 and we look through verse 29, we're going to see God's fairness in this. We're going to see Paul using language that we're probably already familiar with. What shall we say then? Well, what's he doing? He's anticipating potential objections to his preceding argument. So he's going to answer them. Is there unrighteousness with God, certainly not, or God forbid. So he's saying this is not the case. God, being God, could have (coughs) selected anyone for whom these promises and these covenants to be made. He could have. But Paul's point here is, he didn't. He chose Israel, beginning with Abraham. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion, coming from Exodus 33 and verse 19. If you want to uh, go and study that passage to get the fuller context. So... He's raising this rhetorical question, anticipating this hypothetical, but would probably come to be reality, objection that would be raised. So he's saying that the giving the covenant through the line of Jacob is not unfairness or unrighteousness on the part of God, but rather it is a reflection of of God in his power and in his might. And it's a fulfillment of his promises. So we come on down uh, to 16 and 17. So then it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. For the scripture says to the Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Well, again, he's coming from, or he's citing, rather, uh, the book of Exodus. And so for that, when we look at that, he's citing Exodus chapter 9 and verse 16. There in the context of Moses beginning the pleas of, let my people go. And when you read that account in Exodus, you'll see that statement that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Now again, that's another uh, passage that some have misconstrued, but here we see it in context of what is actually meant by that. I have raised you up that I may show my power in you. He didn't do that arbitrarily. He did it for a specific purpose. It was Pharaoh of his own free will that chose to harden his heart, but nonetheless, despite that, God still accomplished what he set out to accomplish. So we need to be mindful of that. And a parallel uh, passage to that concept in the New Testament, I'll give you uh, very briefly. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 11. And there, Paul, in that second letter to the church of Thessalonica is speaking in context there of those who turn away from the truth. And he says what? That God should send them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie. Not saying that God wills or desires for anyone to be lost. It's quite the opposite. But there may come a point and a time in which one is so hardened that they are going to do what they desire regardless of what has been revealed to them. So as we continue on uh, here in our study, he's going to again in 19 answer their anticipated objection. And you need to remember Paul of all people, was the most qualified to deal with this. He tells us in Philippians that he was a Pharisee. He was of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on the eighth day. We know from the book of Acts that he studied at the feet of the great rabbi Gamaliel. He knew these things just as well, if not better, than anyone else. So he knew what his fellow Israelites were going to say. So we come to 17, or excuse me, 19. You you will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who has resisted his will? But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed to him, will the thing formed say to him who formed it, why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have the power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor. So he's answering the objection that they would most likely raise if they were given the opportunity to do so. And so he uses that example. I'll tell you, I don't know if any of you have ever had the opportunity uh, to see a pottery demonstration. I trust somebody has. I know... I have before, and it, the, it is an amazing process. Now, I don't know the first thing about it. I promise I'm not going to be teaching a pottery class, but the process is amazing. When that potter, with all of his tools, he takes that wet, soft clay, and he places it in his hands or hers, as the case might be, and molds it into whatever they desire for it to be. And then what happens? It dries, it hardens, and they have accomplished what they have set out to do. To make whatever vessel or item that they set out to make from that clay. So in this context, Paul is using that example, something that they would have understood, to make the point that God can do as he pleases with whomsoever he pleases. And again, our context, choosing Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, again, for what purpose? Well, again, that's answered in verse 4. So then, as we continue, what if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured... With much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, watch this, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles." So, Paul raises a hypothetical here. He says, What if? But is it really that much of a hypothetical? Well, no, because look at how he words this. Wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering. You remember all the way back in Genesis, when he was giving the land promise to Abraham, and speaking of the Canaanites that were dwelling in that land, and specifically the Amorites, the statement there is made that their cup, paraphrasing, that their cup of iniquity was not yet full. God is indeed very long-suffering And look at how long-suffering he was with Israel, his own people, in the writings of the Old Testament. So Paul is wording this in such a way because he knew that they knew their history. So he's framing this in such a way that there would be no way that they could miss this. So when we come... There to 24, he's making the point again that not only is the gospel for Jew and Gentile alike, but Jew and Gentile are saved in the same fashion. Continuing in 25, as he says also in Hosea, I will call them my people who were not my people, and her beloved who was not beloved. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people. There there they shall be called sons of the living God. So 25 and 26 there, he's quoting from Hosea chapter 2 and verse 23 and chapter 1 and verse 10. Isaiah 27 also cries out concerning Israel. He's going to quote now the great prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 10, verses 22 and 23. Though the number of the children of Israel shall uh, be as the sand of the sea, the remnant will be saved. As the sand of the sea, that is innumerable. I doubt there's any of us that could accurately even begin to count how many grains of sand there are on the shore of any given sea. Innumerable, in other words. So what's Isaiah's point? The remnant will be saved. And as you go through the Old Testament, especially the prophets, and in the post-captivity period, you'll see A lot of references to the remnant. That is, that small group of people, of Israelites, who despite what was happening around them, remained faithful. It was they that God preserved. And we can go even all the way back to the book of Numbers for that. You'll recall of the twelve spies that sent out Caleb and Joshua. Were the only ones of that generation that were preserved to see the fulfillment of the land promise. Why? Because they were the only ones who acted in faith. So that's exactly what Isaiah is saying here, and that's what Paul is saying by quoting Isaiah. He's saying they're not going to be saved just because they are Israelites. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because the Lord will make a short work upon the earth. And as Isaiah said before, unless the Lord of the Sabbath had left us a seed, we would have become like Sodom, and we would have been made like Gomorrah. And again, there he's quoting Isaiah. Uh, And so... When you think about that latter statement there, we would have become like Sodom and we would have been made like Gomorrah. Well, what happened to those cities? Well, we know that they were destroyed. So what Isaiah is saying here, and Paul by extension of that, is saying here, is that had no remnant been preserved, then Israel would have been destroyed just as they were destroyed. But that wasn't the case. So what's the conclusion of this? Uh, When we come to verses 30 through 33, when we look at Israel's present condition, what shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. Well, how did they obtain to the righteousness of faith? Because they trusted and they obeyed. But Israel, here's the contrast, 31 pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Well, he's going to explain why in 32. Because they did not seek it by faith, as it were, by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone, as it is written, again from Isaiah, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. So again, the uh, summary of all of this is that God made the promise to Israel. It was through Israel that Jesus Christ came into the world. The Gentiles obtained the righteousness of faith because they acted in faith. In contrast, Israel was lost because they pursued the works of the law, trying to obtain it on their own merit. All right, I know that's a lot to unpack, uh, but do we have any questions or comments before we're dismissed here? I have a question about verse 13. Okay. When, when God said that he loved Jacob and he hated Esau, mm-hmm. oh, That, that is a good question. Uh, the answer to that that I have always heard, and words do change meaning over time, but I would contend preference. And here's what I mean by that. Whose children do you love more, your own or your neighbor's? Well, you're going to give preference to your own children. Why? Because they're yours. That's not to say that you hold your neighbor's children in contempt. I hope you don't. But you don't hold them in contempt, but it's that your own children are going to take precedent over them. So that's how I would answer that. Absolutely, putting first. That's a very good way to put it. So, Okay, great questions. Do we have anything else? Okay, well I appreciate your attention and Lord willing, uh, we will reconvene next
0: Wednesday for a continuation.